everybody. Welcome to Open Mic. This week on the podcast, David Miller. I say David Millar, but he told me it's Miller. So, I will for once listen to my guest and give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I haven't been doing the intros for a while, mainly because I feel like this show just starts so much better with the, with the movie and then the music. And, but I have a good reason for bringing the, this little verbal vomit to you. I got a sponsor. It's Carter Cyclist. They um, came on board, and with the way the economy is and how tight budgets are, the fact that they're coming on and helping me out, I couldn't thank them enough. Car cyclist and I go back to when I was like 18, 17. We were was on the amateur professional team, which used to be this weird loophole classification. I don't know. I think you just paid like another couple hundred dollars and you got a professional license. That was it. There was no regulations or anything. Um, but that was where Pate and I got our step. Um, I think Aaron Olson, to some extent, was part of that. Clark Sheehan, all these just really fabulous guys were a part of it, and it was um, it was a really special time in my life, and to kind of come full circle, and now they're helping me do this podcast, so now that I can, I now I'll have a travel budget, I can go and search these people out, you know, you guys request people that, you know, aren't available, and not necessarily within a car drive, so it's, it's really exciting, and if you guys could just do me a favor and uh, give them a mention, a thank you on Twitter. It's we take sponsors for granted these days, and you know, I mean, look, I know how that sounds. It's a little shilly, but it's it's the truth. Um, I really appreciate them, and um, we're bringing this to you for free, and I want to continue to bring it to you for free. And it, so, if you guys could just uh, mention. Carlos Cyclist on Twitter and thank them for doing the podcast or thank them for sponsoring the podcast. That would really help out. Um, now, like I said before, David Miller always had a, a bit of a fascination with this guy because he was obviously cerebral and uh, he is a bit of a fashionista. That's, is that a weird word to use? Should, I don't know if a, a man should use that word. Um... But I was always fascinated with, you know, how fast he could time trial. I liked time trialing when I was a kid. I was, I always remember he had a frame with just an insane amount of seat posts showing. I would actually try to make my bike so they look like David Millar's bike. He had that huge saddle to handlebar drop. I just thought that was the most pro-looking thing. And the, the classic drop bar that he run classic drops for a long time. And yeah, and then I read his book, and his book's really good. You should. Um, uh, you should read it. I'm totally blanking on the title of it, but it's pretty easy to search the interwebs these days. Um, so I saw him at Tour of Alberta. I was directing. He's racing, and I asked him to uh, come up to my room and uh, get him get him pretty drunk. And oh uh, yeah, I think it went well. So here he is, David Moore. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. <laughs> you think I'm fucking with you? I am not fucking with you. I'm here from downtown. I'm here from Mitch and Murray. And I'm here on a mission of mercy. What's your name? Fuck you! That's my name! <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. And your name is your wanting. And you can't play in the man's game. You can't close them. Then go home and tell your wife your troubles. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, C. 
closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. So, chart, take two. We talk for ten minutes. You guys get a short podcast. That's okay. You got, got rid of the uncomfortable introduction. Right, right. James just said how um, he kicked it. But, uh, go ahead, sorry. You were explaining about how we were talking about being at the end of my month-long North American adventure. Yeah. And how if it, this had been a month-long trip in Europe at this time of year, it would have been a, I'd have been a mental milkshake by this point. But as it is, I, I still feel reasonably fresh. Yeah. Two reasons. It's it's this is all quite novel to me. I've done very few I've only done a tour of California, a tour of Georgia yeah. before as races over here. And then the second reason is it's just the lifestyle is much easier. The the hotels are nicer, the, the beds are more comfortable, the the generally the generally is consistent, yeah. which is important even if you know what you're getting. And then the racing itself it's on massive roads. Yeah, <laughs> which is bike races are made on small roads, you know. So it's like yeah. these ones are just—it's just purely physical. If you know slightly yeah. how to ride a bunch, it's pretty simplistic. You do. I mean, while the racing in the states is like—I mean, to win any race is pretty hard. Yeah, well, so because it is purely physical, so it's much more of a physical match rather than a technical match. Yeah, but the to get by, it's much easier just to get by in the states. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, it's. it's I'd say yes or no. It's a different scene, isn't it? It's um, in that it's uh, how to how to put it. It's very much parochial. It's it's quite a. It's very much like the UK, the UK racing scene. It's, it's existed for years. It's got bigger, but it's still very cottage industry compared to European continental world tour, which in well, sport is very cottage industry, so it's so kind of each one of us has their own little universe. Sure. UK, US, then you have the European scene, and but it's um, it's good. I mean, it's, it's teams around here that have that's been around forever, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, Jai Valley's been around yeah. for since I've been pro. Yeah. Uh, fucking ages, then. <laughs> Not as long as you've been pro, brother. Nah, one more year left. Yeah. When did you come up to that? Uh, the tour this year was just, um, yeah, it was a tour, I think. I had a pretty full-on first week emotionally regards for just missing yellow jersey and then not getting it. And then it's, I just don't have the wherewithal to do the training camps, do the road trips, do the yeah. modern cycling. It's, it's, I mean, all sports is, but it's become more and more a young man's game and in order to be the best in the world, you have to have, have, you have to be going to altitude camps, you have to be on the road yeah. more and more. Yeah. You have to which is great. I mean if I was if I turned pro now I'd I'd love that. I'd spend yeah. eight yeah. years just fucking in the zone doing all that stuff. But I'm thirty six years old and I've got a wife and, and two young boys at home and yeah. it's not and I've 
you know, I've had my window of opportunity within my generation, and so now it's a, it's a kind of, yeah, time to move on. There's a, um, I think when you're young, you get a certain amount of charge from putting yourself in extreme conditions, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, going on a 250k solo ride, uh, going to bed hungry, doing extreme training camps, whatever. You get a bit of charge from that. It seems so extreme. And it, 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 yeah. I, at least for me, I, the, the idea that I'm going places that I've never been as far as physically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of, it's, I mean, that's very much a pro cyclist. The best pro cyclists have that very unhealthy mental state where oh, it is an extremist. It is a, it's an obsessive addictive personality. Which and, that, very, and that's a young man's, I mean, like you were saying, that, that's a very young feeling. It's a, it's, a, it's a very adolescent mind that has that kind of single-minded selfish, selfish egotistical single-minded well to be the best at anything oh. is to, to have the thought i need to be the best at this and not only like the best in my group but probably the best in the world yeah is a crazy mindset. And the arrogance because it takes a certain amount of confidence as you get older you don't have that burning desire and, and it's, it's also proven that the biochemistry in the male brain changes as you get older generally yeah. Biochemistry changes, you become less egotistical, less selfish, less sing having singular motivations. I mean, so it changes without anything happening in your late 20s, early 30s if you're normal. Then if you have children, yeah. it actually has a total shift almost immediately. You'd hope, yeah. Again, normally. Yeah. So you become less, even, you, you just soften, soften, soften. So, I mean, the best guys are younger. Then you have the paradox of professional cycling is, whereas we actually, because it's such an endurance sport and because it's such a combination between physicality and psychology that you do start to hit your peak in your late 20s, early 30s, even for some guys, mid 30s. But for many guys, they, their brain chemistry has changed so much by, by the time their body and mind are capable of racing yeah. at the ultimate level that it's, it's yeah. too late. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an odd phenomenon in that we're one of the few sports that has that. You have guys that are just starting to hit their absolute peak and can't do it anymore. They're essentially not that we use the term burnt out. It's not burnt out. They just can't do it anymore, literally. I, I got to the point where the, for me, so like I had, I had to retire in the middle of the year just because I, I knew. The, I like the idea of all the sacrifice. I like the idea of the training. Yeah. But I, I, I couldn't do it. And I think when you do those, uh, when you cut those rides short, and uh, you plan for a six hour, and you come home two hours in, I think I've been cutting rides shorter and shorter for years. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I don't. I How do you get around that? Do you get? Do you get? Do you get a lot? I have. No, I'm more consistent than I was when I was younger. When I was younger, I was much like we were just talking about. I was much more hardcore myself. I could do the most incredible training blocks and, yeah, yeah. and diets and, and regimes and routines and disappear for months at a time or weeks at a time, whatever, was, whatever I needed to do. Whereas now I'm, I ride my bike more consistently, like every day for a little bit less. I don't have those absolute peaks of self-flagellation that I did sure. when I was younger. But, um, and then I've got the know-how and I don't have the a desperate need to please people so I can have a much more balanced career and that's yeah, yeah. that career and go up way of performing. This is a very leading question, so I'll take it for that, but you say desperate need to please people, like when you were younger and uh, you go to France at a really early age, uh, how much of that was proven to yourself and how much was trying to please others that like uh, approved others. When I was a teenager and when I was in my early twenties, I was just proving everybody wrong because everyone told me it, it wasn't possible. So for mm -hmm. you, then it was very much a, an adolescence rebellion. Do you think everybody? Because sometimes that. Do you really feel like, and with your older, being an older guy now, you look back. Do you really think everybody told you wrong, or do you think you just used it as fuel? I told you you couldn't do it, or no, do you, do you it think was, you used no, it as fuel? It was, it was definitely. That was the, and it's a generalization, but it's a sure. very valid generalization because the British scene at that time was non existent. It was pre 
Sky pre-Olympic success. It was, it was um, a very desperate time in the British cycling world. Yeah. And to even dare to go, I only had like maybe what, we had two Tour de France riders at that time, Sean Yates and Chris Borgman. Yeah. That's all it was from the British scene. That yeah. was racing Tour de France. And let's, yeah. let's just put it at the highest. That was my goal. Sure. And no young guys had succeeded to turn pro in over a decade. Yeah. yeah. Like, they'd all failed. So it was kind of a case of it's not possible. Yeah. And it was a case of, no, stay in the UK, stay here till 21, 22, then we'd go across. And I was like, that doesn't make sense because 17, 18 year old French, Italian, Belgian, Swiss, Danish, they all have to move into that amateur scene immediately when they, sure. they, they finish junior. So I was like, I'll do it. So it was, um, but I, I found that challenging. I like the fact that people didn't think it was possible. But deep down, I knew it was possible because I was kind of, I could see already from my performance as a junior and, and, and the scene and kind of, and the, <coughs> and the different application I had to my peers and junior peers from the UK. Yeah. I come from Hong Kong and I had literally nothing to lose. I left my home. My home was like 8,000 kilometers away, 9,000 kilometers away. Yeah. That's where my friends were. Yeah. And so I was in Europe. I no longer knew anybody in the UK. So going to France was basically the same as saying in England, run along with it, so I'll give it a go and see how it's built. That 18 month period when I was 18 was the most dedicated I've been in my whole career. Yeah. It was like, it was relatively most successful I had against all the odds. You know, it was just hard work. Talent, I had a massive amount of talent, but a massive amount of hard work as well. I, uh, I read your autobiography. Mm. It was really, really good. Uh, I highly recommend it. Thank you. Um, there was a funny part to me, though. There was a funny part to me because I feel like, I, you know, we. I don't. This is probably the longest conversation mm. we've ever had. Yeah. I think I've only talked to you once or twice before. Mm. Um, and I'm the same, so I'm not judging. Yeah. But you seem like you're fairly in tune with uh, your per people's perception of you. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in there where you were talking about Brad Wiggins. Yeah. And he said, ah, uh, he he thinks a lot about what people think about him. Yeah. Do you think you're, do you think you're the same too, or I was massively, yeah. I did. No, there's a fine balance between being vain, sure, and being, which is essentially self-indulgent, I suppose. Do you think vain you'll match what people want? Vain, excited, like vain. I, I'm an odd one. I, I'm pretty terrible at kind of caring about my hair and my general appearance sure, and, sure. and stuff like that, you know, it's, sure, kind of, sure. it's not very haphazard. And and yet I'll be religious in how my details are in my cycling clothing and, and everything and the way everything is and because it's my uniform and I need that to be exactly how it's supposed to be. It's like I'll flip out if I put on a skin suit and it's an inch too short, the legs, it's like that's it, the time trial's yeah. over. And that's just because it's my uniform, and that's kind of one of the details. It's like the blue M and M's, you know. It's like sure. If you get one of those things wrong, then it, it, that's part of it. Kind of, it all starts to fall apart for me, which may be a weakness I have. But, but regards Brad, I mean, it's me and Brad are very similar, but hugely different. I mean, Brad he, he has an ability as an athlete, which rarely have I seen, is yeah. to apply himself to an objective, a goal, yeah. and put absolute trust in people have the right people around and then work so incredibly diligently for however long it takes. Now I'm, I'll be the first to say I'm not like that, I got like a probably a three month working window until I crack for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> it's like it's kind of it's a, Do you fit, do you, is it like a fear of letting people down? Uh, no, then it's just boredom for me. <laughs> really? I kind of, it's, it's a boredom thing. I, I, and then you do like massage. Generally, stage races, I get oh, ten days into it, I'm bored of massage. It's just yeah. It's I've tr I've tried to describe to friends about how getting a massage sometimes can be a bother. Oh, I just cried uh, tonight. So I was like, no, I don't want it. Yeah. Like, just tell them like, no, you get like a forty-five minute rub, and yeah. you you turn it down a lot because you just want to lay in bed. Yeah. yeah. And I, that was laziness on my part. It was just like, no, nah, it was because. Massage for me has never been something that I take 
pleasure from or, or relief. It's not, I'm not a therapy whore in the slightest. Sure. I never see a Cairo, never, unless I've had a crash, bad crash, or something hurts. Um, I'm very blessed in that degree biomechanically, but it's. I had one Swanya, carer, uh, whatever the modern word is, Chema, who died sadly three or four years ago, who was working in the sky, and he was the only Swanya I've ever had who refused to let me not have a massage. Yeah. He put you under the yeah, he, like, he was like, no, you're coming to have it. This is a performance of mine. It was like, instead of like, and he was the only guy I've ever had. Most, almost every other swinger was oh, like, okay, cool, thank you. Like, kind of gave yeah. time off. But Chevrolet was the only one that was like, he knew me so well. He was like, yeah. lazy little bastard. It's like, you're coming <laughs> I think too, I think people like that, they really want to feel like they're helping. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. It's, that That's... In a roundabout way, I feel like that would be like them telling us not to ride. Probably not to that extreme, yeah. but it's, you gotta let me work here, man. Yeah. I think this is what I'm here for. Yeah. A little bit more? Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, the of cycling, and most athletes, like, I think most people recognize these days as professional athletes, and anybody who achieves makes it to the top of the pyramid in their domain, they're generally not normal people, they're not yeah. socially adept, they're not what we would describe as nice, loving, yeah. kind of caring, thoughtful people. They're very no, mercurial, they're very selfish. I talked to Vigalius about this. Yeah. And we, because uh, especially in events like this, mm. you see it, yeah. you know, like, uh, even with uh, you guys and Belkin, yeah. you guys eat in a completely different room for dinner. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's uh, it's accepted. It's not really even questioned. No, you know, it's like the elitism. It, yeah, area. and I don't. Out of pure ignorance, I'm I'm sure there's something. I'm sure somebody on Twitter will mention it to me. But out of pure ignorance, I don't know where the Division three and the Division One can mix and compete against each other so fluidly, but yet there's you can't eat together. Like it's it's it's. I, I guess it highlights how small the sport is, but it's also, it's funny to me. You know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting. Okay, we have the Canadian national team, and these guys are making, yeah, maybe nothing to. But that's why we're a cottage industry. There is no. It's. In, Put it. We, the only common ground we have is bike racing. I mean, the income is very different. The way we're treated, the the levels of sponsorship backing, the races we do. You know, we can arrive at a race, but even with that, if you take it from that that example, of sure. using different rooms, then you even take it to a world tour team like mine. You could have the Tour de France, a Neo Pro, who is on essentially minimum wage, maybe, and with one of the stars of the sport in the same team. Yeah. And it's like the disparity in, in, in salary there is massive, and you get that in very few other sports. Yeah. Within one team, we're eating at the, at yeah. the, the Champions League fight, we're final in the Super Bowl, and <laughs> within one team, yeah. there would be a disparity, but it, still, the, the lowest income would be still wow. Yeah, right. With an sport, lowest yeah. income's like, yeah. The guy has a roommate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you must be working towards something better than where you are now. I can't decide if that's beautiful about cycling or embarrassing. Uh, there's, a bit yeah. of a, there's a bit of a beauty in that if a true talent comes up, a team manager can give them a can take a risk on them. Mm. So I don't know what the UCI minimum is now. It's maybe 48K. Yeah. Somewhere in that, that area. I think it is, yeah. And he could be, he could be racing against... He could be racing with Alberto Contador, who's pulling in three or four mil. And I, is, I can't decide if that's beautiful or it's tragic. Well, within tragedy, there's always beauty, that's why. It's always one of those things, isn't it? Yeah. So I say it's, it's erring more towards tragic than it is beauty, but I mean, that's part of professional cycling. It's the whole soap opera, it's the extremism, it's the accessibility, it's the fact that you have such large differentiations in everything. Yeah. And accessibility and the sense of every man. Sense of, there's always a sense of every man about professional cycling that very few professional sports have. 
the the accessibility with that you can go to start and literally yeah. look in the eye be looked in the eye by your hero you've seen from afar forever having signed or got pose for a photo. It's yeah, very if you tried if you tried hard enough you can get their attention. Yeah. Exactly. Even I mean Twitter. You're yeah, essentially yeah. sending them a text message. Yeah, exactly. You I never interact. You you quit Twitter for a while. I did for about three, four months, yeah. What what was the what was the you don't have to go into huge detail, but what was the the, the, the drop off there? What made no, you go? Just, like, well, just like it was a negative it was a negative in my life. It just became too addictive, like checking that out all the time, stop reading books, stop I'd lost the balance of it. And I, I held Twitter in such disdain for so long. I got on and I was like, what's amazing? <laughs> this is amazing. And it is such an ego trip when you're somebody in my position, we have so much stuff. Somebody mentioned it, especially I did it for my book. That was my original reason. Sure. Because I thought, I'll just sort of put it myself out there. And I thought, number one from the beginning was I'm not going to interact. I'm not going to. Because I just didn't. Sure. Because that was just me thinking if I interact with somebody, then I'm ignoring somebody else and I sure. don't want to just strike, like kind of create that vibe. So you're not going to reply to anything? Not reply to anything because I thought if I reply to one thing then I'm ignoring something else. Sure. So if I ignore everything then I'm, I feel better about everything. <laughs> but I had literally so much wind blown up my ass <laughs> from my book and it was sure. wonderful. Sure, sure. And it was amazing and I never retweeted anything because I, I just thought that's just so vain. That was vain if I was to do that. Yeah. Retweeting somebody saying something. Retweeting, retweeting praise yeah. is vain. It's really bad. Yeah. I've, I've caught myself doing it a couple times. Yeah. And I've only caught myself because on the long enough timeline, on the long enough timeline, I'm always going to be a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah. And I've always, you know, you see guys you're friends with. Yeah. And you see, it's a contradictory. Yeah, yeah, contradictory. Yeah, contradictory. Yeah. So you, I've always said like you never realize how close your friends are to being your enemies when you see the shit they put on Twitter. <laughs> and you're just like, wow. If I didn't know you, like if I didn't know that you were a good person, yeah. I, in this moment, I would be pretty. I would think you're a bad person. Yeah, I think people forget the the, the power of it. The kind of how. Things can spread so quickly, and it is. And if I if I look at something and I decide, it's quite simplistic in a pop psychology way to to read somebody so quickly from looking at their, their mm. tweet timeline. Yeah, and it's such it's such fun. I find it such fun. Yeah, you can go down. Somebody will forward you somebody. All right, you get like a thing, and then you go and you see their timeline yeah. of everything, and you feel like. And I'm, I'm sure there's times where you're wrong, but you, you feel like you have a pretty good measure of the person. Yeah, yeah, you do. And it's, and it's the oddest thing for me is because I have like 146,000 followers now, which is crazy. Yeah. Is you meet people and they're like, oh, I love your Twitter, and it's like, oh, you were such such a place yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great because it's thank God I just keep it at the level I have it at. Yeah. But people, you, it's easy to get involved and love it and. Yeah. And sharing it, then all of a sudden it's like you're putting yourself. That's why I never put pictures of my kids on there, or yeah. never. Yeah. And never talk about my wife generally or anything. Just and yeah. No, I've always yeah. kept it. By and large, yeah. I'm sure there's times where I've I've, got, I've got on a soapbox. Creed is fucking entertainment. Yeah. And it should no. be entertainment the whole time. It should be either fun or if you've got something important to say, say it, and that's it. And it's like that's how I see it. It shouldn't be like this kind of personal Prime, sort of yeah. like carousel of your life especially when it's not a unique point of view you're like oh, I have a new angle on here that I'm gonna throw out and see how it, it plays yeah more often than not it's common sentiment mm. it's oh yours are good, so yours are, yours are good. you're very, very witty which is nice it's good I was gonna bring this up Dave mm. this is a roundabout way bring up you don't follow me anymore on Twitter that's true actually Fine. what do I do I, 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 need, I need to know I just, what I, I just, do Cold fourteen people tonight. And it's like I, I, I need people. So here's six so following. Here, I'm going to do it right now. I have to know, Dave. I, have I, to I know. can't remember. I, have to, I actually don't know. So here's a. I had this because when it came back on Twitter, I was like, just, just running this massive cold. Sure. 
And you must have done something on Yes, board. yes. And I, I'm a big boy. I'm a big boy. I had literally have no idea. So what I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to maybe oh, remember you. Okay. I'm going to try to maybe try, give you the number. See, see what well, you'd know more than me. Exactly. Yeah. Would be. Okay. So then, uh, I noticed that you followed me, and I was very proud. I was yeah. very proud of that. My sister followed you. As well. And then your sister followed yeah. me. And I thought, wow, I have the whole a, Miller family in my pocket, right? So then my girl, right? She uh, worked with us around. Yeah. She got a uh, a sky jersey with Creed on it. Brilliant. It's really genius. Yeah. So I said, uh, it was it was August yeah. round of the year. So yeah. I said, big news, and yeah. I tweeted a photo of the jersey. Oh, that was great. No, no, I thought that was hilarious. I loved that. So, so I, it wasn't I, that for sure. Okay, so I tweeted it, and then. I start and then I blew up the Sky Twitter account. Yeah. Like that's great. And then, yeah. because people on Twitter are fuckwits, yeah. instead of just having a good laugh and high five, yeah. and they got then they then they start saying things like, "Well, it's about time Sky does something right. It's about time." They, they started getting negative, and then I felt really bad, because at first I thought, "Oh, well, your sister's gonna see this because she runs the Sky Twitter account. Oh, yeah. She'll have a good laugh." Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But then when it started turning negative. So I sent your sister. Yeah. So I sent your sister a direct message saying, "I just did this for piss. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll take it down immediately. Yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. I'm bored and I have nothing to do in my oh, life." Yeah. No, my sister would care. Sister, like, okay. I was wondering if it was that. Oh, I don't know. My sister would care. It's like we thought it was hilarious. We very much got the same sense of humor. Publication of Sky. She knows that it's gone too far with me in many ways, but at the same time, that was genius. And no, I honestly don't know what it would have been unless you got too serious and stuff. I might have. Sometimes I sometimes I say that's all I can think of. Maybe yeah, yeah, too sure, serious sure. and too serious and stuff. Sure. Like I was trying to avoid I try serious. Yeah. Twitter, like that whole Twitterati sure. social network where people are always replying to stuff and creating their own gossip yeah. group. I was like, I think Twitter did a function now though that unless you're responding, unless the person is responding to somebody you follow, you can't see it, so they, it doesn't fuck up your timeline like that. Yeah, nice. But I don't get my BlackBerry thing so basic. Right, but right. I'm like, what's your fucking handle, man? It's like, I'm looking at Michael Creed. You don't know. Seriously, brother, you don't have to refollow no, 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 me. No, no, I was no, just no, wondering no, if there was, like, a specific incident. 100% not. Like, I must have just been going, culling through the sure, sure, whole sure. network of people discussing stuff. Uh, I think it was it's, his, it's his Michael underscore Creed. Got it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, because I, I was very proud. I was very... Well, I'm back on, man. I'll be reaching for the show. No, no, because your, your tweets are some of the best. I try to keep it purely humor. And now that I have this podcast, I am whoring the podcast quite a bit. I haven't been so heavy on the jokes. Yeah. I started... I did stand up for a little bit. Maybe there are too many jokes. Maybe a, maybe a joke offended. Maybe that was Maybe it. a joke offended. Or just too many jokes. I had to, I had to, Can you ever have too many jokes? I had to call one of my friends who loves triathlon, who was putting triathlon stuff all the time. Oh, the triathlon guy. I was Carl. I didn't no, no, say no, no, that was no, no, tri- no, no, okay. jokes, just him doing triathlon shit. Uh-huh. And I was like, I, and sure. I, I got a text message from him like three hours later, you unfollowed me. I was like, Really? He knew within three hours. I was like, Too much triathlon stuff, man. It was like, it just became. Here's how much, of, an, here's how much of an egomaniac I've become. Yeah. Is that when I check Twitter, I'll see the last three or four things in my timeline, mm. and then I'll just check my app mentions. Nice. I don't really scroll that's that much. Shit, that's how much of a fucking psychopath I am. That's great, man. That's like that's awesome. I kind of I do a happy mishmash. I think. Yeah. I do a my mentions. I kind of wish I hadn't. I don't have. I have maybe a one. I have no hate. Generally, like one percent hate. Sure. I kind of enjoyed the hate so much more before. But here's the thing, we have to breathe, like, it's so much harder harder to write something nice. Yeah, yeah. Like, like even now, like, there's something you enjoy, you don't really mention it, right? You just kind of like, I enjoy it. Something you hate, you might get on Twitter and tell people you hate it. So, like, if somebody has the nicety to send me a nice message on Twitter, Mm -hmm. I'll usually favorite it. It's not quite as, because you're not putting it on display while retweeting it. So I think I think that's the way to go. I think you cultivate like you start building a. Yeah. I appreciate when you say something nice mm. instead of something negative. And then you you know yeah every once in a while you get a negative comment. And it's just a fucking fun line, isn't it? It's, it's, that's the, the the tragedy of 
of Twitter announcement, you can never say thank you to all the people that say nice things to you. Yeah. Because if you do, then unless you're Chris Hoy, because Chris Hoy is literally amazing like that. But the day he announced his retirement, former retirement, sure. every single tweet he got, thank him for his crit, he sent a, a personal Come reply. On. It was amazing. Wow. I, I thought his timeline just in awe. Yeah. And I thought, fuck, that's why you are so Chris Hoy. Yeah. He literally does every single person that meant, like, so that he replies to them personally. And I was like, fuck yes. Proper chat. And that's nice. A big occasion like that, then just to sit there all day and say, okay, I'm on this, I'm getting so much from it. I'm just going to be here for like eight hours and I'm reply sure. to every single one. Sure. And I thought, that's nice behavior. To do that occasionally, to then just do something grandiose. Because mm. then it's uh, then it's nice. Then you're like giving something back. Yeah. And it shows that you were fine the whole time, which is actually had all this stuff going on. Fuck, that's amazing. I didn't know we did that. Mm. Nice little tribute to his career. Yeah. Like sign off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Thank you for me, man. I'm going. I'm out. Yeah, the guy's not buying a beer anywhere. He's going out on that again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've had a bit of 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 a bit my son's second birthday is on home Monday. Home in Girona or home in England? Home in Girona, my only home is Girona now. Ah. Um, and then was TTT. So that's a big objective. So real, isn't that cool they brought that back? It is kind of cool. It puts a lot of pressure on our team to do it. But this year we kind of, we've got it. I've been racing like a maniac the first two hours of every day here just to kind of get myself in there. Get doing crazy that. chases and just doing those, those efforts that match the TTT, but yeah, no, it's great. I think we're gonna, it's fine. So, the Christian's last race as well, so, so fun. Yeah. Uh, going back to the style and equipment and all this, uh, most important thing a week, or just keep talking around. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm getting David Millar proper. Not drunk, but I'm putting him on his way. It's not. It's not Millar. It's Miller. <laughs> Dave sounds like he has a real healthy stream. So you know that sounds. Uh, that's. Real, the ladies are listening. It's a promising thing. It's a lovely quirk of the Americans they call me Miller. <laughs> How do you, else in the world. How's it correctly pronounced? Miller. Miller. David Miller. Yeah, I guess we would, do, we would just do it with an E. It's pronounced, it's pronounced as if it's an E. It's a Scottish man. Yeah. Um, when you were talking earlier about the style of cycling, mm. I think it also ties into you have a certain amount of uh, romantic. Uh, you're into the romance of cycling as well. Yeah, I mean, that's why I got into it. That's why I love it. And, uh, so I've always noticed your style ever since I was a junior. I remember being, um, I remember being 18, 19 years old. And I was trying to set up my bike like you. Nice, I set my back up like other people as well, so. I remember, because you, you always had a small head tube and a lot of seat posts on. Yeah, and it, it just, it looked, I don't know what it is about that look. It's beautiful, like, I always thought the bike should go sit right against the wall and look beautiful on its own. It looks fast. Without the rider. Yeah, it, it looks, looks fast. fast. It looks just, fast. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a racing bike. I always said, if it looks good when you're not on it, then you've nailed it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Do you feel like you've almost forced your body in that position or do you feel like your body matched it? Do, do you no, a combination of both. I mean, I, I, it was, uh, I was very aesthetically based in my early career, like everything. Mm. Um, just because I could, I suppose. I, just cause I, I like, and at the time, I could get whatever custom frame I wanted. And when I turned they had frame, aluminum frame, so you could Yeah, no, I could, I literally, not like today where you have to fit the bikes, which is, no. which I hate. Hate because my shape and my I have a, a long upper body and shorter legs, which means I can always have that longer reach if you like. Yeah. But since I turned pro in 1996, 
my, my first meeting with Cyril Bimard was 1996 in Paris. I was 19 years old, getting measured up for bikes. Yeah. At the time, that was rites of passage turning freshman. Yeah. You know, now it's like you kind of turn up and yeah, this stem, stem length and height and your yeah. fit into the production frame. So now do you just run like 13, 14 centimeter stones to get the reach? I run 14 if I can, 15 centimeter stones, like custom stems, but it's like ITM only a special stem, but yeah, I can't get the like yeah, get closer. Yeah, oh, there you go. I, I'm 3T, so... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but 3T are amazing, I mean, they, they try their best, but the bottom line, it's still going to handle us differently. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reason I could have such beautiful bikes when I was younger. Because I could just get them made to my spec, which yeah. was incredible. <laughs> I remember Frank Vandenbroek would change bikes yeah. for two millimeters. Yeah. That whole rebuild for like one or two millimeters. But he was very much the same with the lot of Sipo show and yeah, like, yeah. like super, super long reach. Yeah, that was, and that, that was also the time of Bartoli and I think Fondrius was the first. He was the kind of first who had that. Beautiful looking up like that modern Fondrius. Yeah, but he also fit it amazing. You could tell yeah. you could tell his body wanted that position. Maurizio Fondrius was my idol when I was I was my style idol, regards how he rode a bike, how he raced, how he how he looked on a bike and his bikes. He was kind of that's yeah. yeah. That was my thing. I had a poster of Fondrius somewhere. Yeah. C D poster of Fondrius when he ran so That was also a watershed moment for me when I was sponsored by C D going into Dino Signori who yeah. It's his company, he owns yeah. it. And him having a, a poster of me winning a stage in the Welter in 2002. Dude, that wall. must have fucked you up. On his wall, in his office, there were like, like all these pictures, and he said, this is, and he might just put it up for the day for me, but, <laughs> but it was... I doubt it. The fact that there was a poster of you. Made it. Yeah. Made it. The, the poster I had as a kid in Hong Kong yeah. is now, I'm now... A CD poster in Dino Signori's office. How do you not just walk out of that office just with the most incredible ego if you see that man? Yeah, I, was, I had like a massive ego at the time and so it all seemed kind of right. But no, that was a, it hit the kid in me. I was like, fuck. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that was when it's like, that's when you start getting locked down again. You're like, shit. This is what's happening. Do you ever. Uh, I've talked a little bit about my battles with a little bit of depression and, and mm -hmm. self loathing and this stuff. Did you ever get that from, because reading your book, you seem very in tune with yourself. You seem very self-evaluating. And you go from, let's say you, there's... But that's a book. You write a book, and especially as, as I've read many books, and I kind of like, it wasn't, it was a labor of love, and also... How I, long did it take you to write it? For about a year. Did you have like a... a, a Jeremy Whittle, who was um, incredible. He was like my mentor, mm. and like my personal editor, if you like, like my teacher. So he wrote, like, the first scene in the book, that kind of that prison scene, he wrote that exactly. Sure. And when he first wrote that, I was like, oh, God, that's too much. Yeah. And yeah, that's one of the scenes that people love most in the book. And then, but then literally, I started to write, I didn't start to write the book from that moment on. He wrote that first little prologue. And then everything he helped me edit, I'd write, and then I'd email it to him, and then he'd get back to me a couple of weeks later. But I'd still be writing. And he would start to guide me and say, Oh, this is great, David, but you know what? Maybe we need to put more dialogue. Was always a thing. Dialogue. Yeah. Or, you know what? I think take this area, this this part of the story out. It's not necessary, but you should maybe expand on this area. And then he'd help me with certain areas, but he did that for the first third, first half. And by the last half, I was literally just what you read. And probably the last third of the book, what you read is almost exactly what I was, I was writing. Yeah. Literally almost exactly the same. He shaped, he helped form again the closure, but it was very much, he was like my teacher in men's school. I, mean, I couldn't have done it without him. Because there, there was a part in the book, uh, I think when you were talk, talking about you, you with your, uh, like schooling or whatnot. Yeah. And there was this tone to it that it almost amused me because you sounded, um, you sounded like very uh, surprised by yourself. You would talk about how like rambunctious or rebellious yeah. you were. The teenager dress like, I don't feel like he's writing this. I feel like somebody else is editing this yeah, right now. You have to remember that when I wrote it, it was very much a conscious decision to write it. I could have yeah. had somebody write. It was a. Did everyone, you? Everyone always had the classic. Oh, was it cathartic? <laughs> Did like, you? No, it wasn't cathartic. It was like my life was cathartic. So when I was writing it, it was very much a technical exercise for me. It was writing yeah. a book, and 
because I have such an admiration and a love for books, and an admiration for writers, and a respect for what I wanted to be, and where, and my literary agent, David Luxton, and Jeremy Whittle, have both said to me, David, you must write this book. And Paul Kimmage said to me as well, Paul Kimmage was one of the strongest advocates, said, David, you have to write this book. And so Jeremy Whittle was my, held my hand the whole way through it. But the point that David Luxton and Jeremy always said was, when you finished it and it goes to print, you must be able to look at that book 15 years from now, on your bookshelf, and say, I'm proud of that. Yeah. And so it was very much, the whole way through it, it was very much, I had that sense of, okay, this is going to be on my bookshelf 15 years from now, and I have to be proud of this. You and have to think, too, that your kids are going to read it. Eventually. Yeah, and maybe they won't. I mean, but it's like, at the time I thought they are going to read this. The whole time I was writing it, my kids are going to read, read yeah. this. And I was, again, getting egotistical, thinking, Jesus Christ, my kids are going to read this, God knows when. But they're going to read about their dad having this bonkers life, because I will be by that point quite a sedentary figure sure. in their lives. Having been around so long, and traveling less, being their dad. Yeah. You're always uncool, isn't it? Yeah. And I'll have, they'll have never known me as a professional cyclist. Yeah. They'll have grown up with me never racing. They won't, like, my oldest won't remember. And so for them, that's a very abstract idea of their father. And then to then read this book, maybe years from now, and to then when we born in Malta, living in these places, going to Hong Kong, growing up in Hong Kong, and going to France and being French, living in Biritz, and being a pro cyclist, it will be so abstract to them. But it will be like dude, a kind of a story. Dude, their father's spending some time in jail. That's got to be. That's got to be. Oh, no, it's like I've had. Uh, and I've had an amazing life in that respect. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, not yeah. not something you'd want to brag about, but like, you gotta admit, yeah. like that's a pretty funny thing to think about that your kid's gonna like read about. Okay, they have this nice common sense dad who's grown up, seen a lot of things, and by then you're probably gonna be a fairly relaxed guy, and so that's what they're gonna know. Yeah, and then they're gonna read about their dad going to jail for uh, was it a couple nights and they're, they're, uh, it's probably not even going to resonate they're going to look at you like no no it won't make much sense but I, I think it will because my wife is an incredible woman and she yeah. is very much the antithesis to me in many ways and that she is I don't think she's broken a rule in her life really which is I think one of the reasons I've married and I love her so much she's she's not even ever smoked a joint not smoked a cigarette she is a paragon of perfection in many ways. Wow. They were very much the antithesis. And so they're going to have a lovely kind of, which I always thought would be lovely for kids, have that balance between uh, their mum and dad, to have their mum so, the way she is, and so ingrained, so, you know, she's hilarious. She's one of the greatest mimics I know, about yeah. taking the piss out of people and doing accents. And, but we're very different in that respect. They're, I've had a very loose, yeah. and maybe as Jeremy, what's he saying? I'm very lucky I've had a big life. I've had a, a very big life in many yeah. But the person I love the most in the world is my wife, who's had a, a big life as well, and, and who's never been interested in crossing the boundaries, testing, pushing. I don't even understand that. I know. It's, it's like, wow. Yeah. I, I feel like the only way I've ever learned was by just falling fucking up immensely. The pro cyclists are generally like that, I mean, especially of a certain generation. And in order to survive in my generation, it was, well, I room with Christian Vanderbilt this last week, and he is not a risk taker. Yeah. Like, yeah. He is not a risk taker. Yeah. And he has one of the biggest talents I've ever seen, like physiological. Yeah. I've seen him when he's firing in a grand tour. He, his metabolism, his body changes. He so much. When I get tired, the I stop eating. I get yeah, tired. You can, you can. He eats more and more. He's sweating at a dinner table. He's getting fitter and fitter. He can do. It just has a physiological reaction, which I've n never really actually seen. Yeah. And he's never tapped into it. He's got a, a weak bio biomechanically. He's quite weak. You know, his back goes, his leg goes, and then he's had such a kind of uh, a tumultuous career, <coughs> if you like, that he's never tapped into. Yeah. what the body could do. Yeah. And so you have somebody like Christian who 
who got survived that period, and Dave's risky the same, that's kind of tragedy of those guys. They weren't, they're not risk takers. Yeah. And yet, it's like they kind of get stamped out by some people as being these dickheads who doped. And it's like, oh. I don't know, I mean, I feel like they don't, I understand why they feel that way, but I, from the outside, mm. I feel like they've, they've passed the test, you know? Like I feel like a lot of people have seen what it was and what it was for, yeah. and nobody really. I, in general, I think to go back to the Twitter thing. I think you pay way too much attention to the negative. So see, you, I, see that's that, see, that's an interesting problem because I always, the, the, I used to have so much fun with the negative stuff. Like literally, like literally, yeah. like reading that and being fascinated by it. Yeah. The praise was was lovely, like literally, kind of, but kind of but he, uh, such a nice thing to do. And then the, the people were nasty. I was like, wow, yeah. why would you be saying this? Okay. Yeah. And then yeah, I'd yeah. be curious. I'd actually be like, so who are you? What's the yeah, yeah, yeah. Click on them. All right. Wow. What's and you're, going on? Then check their timeline. And, you're much more likely yeah. to remember their profile. Yeah, and it's like, whoa. This so is what does that say about us, Dave? That we won't let any kind of praise or love last. Because here's the thing, like, I think you have to accept all of it or none of it. So, if you're willing to accept accept anonymous praise, you see it, you say, like, oh, well, yeah. That, yeah. That, like, for me, it's the podcast. So, I see somebody I don't know, yeah. fake name, mm-hmm. and they say, Mike, that was a really good podcast. I go, well, that's great. Ah, I do do a good yeah. podcast. Thanks. And then if somebody says from anonymous name, uh, fuck you, fuck stick. You think? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you go, what the fuck's this guy's problem? But it's, and and I'm bound to remember that guy's name, and I'm bound to like look at his profile. But it's it's not fair. If you're willing to accept anonymous praise, you have to be willing to accept anonymous anger. And I, with regards to Dave and Christian, I think. I think that they're probably getting a lot more praise than they are hate, and I yeah, just I think, think I just think that hate is so I think personal. I have ever had like hate like that. So it's, I, I had a massive hate period. Did like, you? I've grown immune to it in many ways. Yeah, so it's, I'm kind of reasonably I am basically immune to hate, which is a weird and very fortunate position to be in. I think you you have to go through some shit to yeah. get. Through hate, I've gotten to the point where I've got, I've finally gotten there. Where if somebody doesn't like me, I'm I've told Vigilius this, and it, it probably refers Charlie, to you. Charlie, but, bless him. He's very emotional as well. He'd be very prone to listening and being hurt by hate. I think my my mother's helped me loads in that respect. My mother's always said to me, "It's a very fine line between love and hate. If you can put that that much emotion into." Not liking something, then there must be something you care about, and it's. Yeah. But it's also, it, it's also the difference between good. If you're eliciting a reaction, you've obviously you're on some kind of thing. Yeah. Get you some more water, brother. Get you some more water. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Just do ten more minutes, we're out of here. Um, I think you're on some kind of vein if you're if you're listening to reaction. But uh, I was talking with Charlie with because he wrote that book, Domestique. Yeah, which I think was it's a wonderful book. It's yeah. wonderful. Um, Thomas Southern wrote it. Let's give him the kudos. Southern's a great one, isn't it? Yeah, Southern made a character, yeah. Um, I was telling, because he said he, he, he wrote it without, <coughs> without worrying about people's reaction. And then when he finally had it, he, he started worrying about what people are going to think. Yeah. And I thought that was so brilliant because, by and large, the general public, the public at 
the public at large are really dopes. Yeah. And uh, if you get to the point where you're trying to gain mainstream acceptance, you're probably stooping to some incredible lows. It all goes back to that, or I think about being something you're proud of 15 years from now. If, if however you act, whatever you're doing, the way you are, you know, I had a, a portion of my life there where, in hindsight, now it's a very short period, where I fucked up gravely, where I knew when it was happening that I wouldn't be proud of it when I was doping. Get banned, that one had nothing to do with sports, come back and I thought I had the gift of being allowed to come back into my sport, I redeem myself, sort my shit out sure. and earn the right to to be where I am now, to have this second chance. And go through all that and, and have that, that right of rite of passage, which is literally what it was. And the time is never about redemption. In my book it ends up being about but it literally was never about that. It only came out when I was writing it literally in the last chapter. But it is I get to the point in my life where I'm 36 years old, this has been my life since a, a slight inkling, twinkling of an adult thought process in my brain happened as a teenager, like 14. Yeah. I fell in love with cycling, professional cycling, Tour de France, 15, I was in love with the Tour de France. While I was going through puberty, everything, it, was, I, it forms everything about my life and then it's, it's made my life and I'm very <coughs> lucky to have lived the life I had and, and, and had the experiences I've lived. No, we're, we're insanely lucky. And so now it's like, but now it's like, uh, I kind of need to do something else now. I need to what literally... What do you think you're going to do? Um, not work in the racing scene. Yeah? No, that's not my... If Jonathan decides that be useful for doing something like with young kids or something, but mm -hmm. I don't want to be in the road, I don't want to be at professional races and all that. Yeah, I mean, I'm working with the, the smaller Division Three team, and I mean, you obviously hit a much higher level than me, but it's pretty, it's pretty rewarding to see obvious mistakes and try to fix them. Yeah, that'd be nice for me to go like back down to that kind of and get an appreciation for. Uh, for me to acknowledge the career I had, it's very I'm very complacent about everything I've done and what I've been through and everything in many ways, as much as I, I recognize the foliations, as I may say, but my time as a bike rider, I forget a lot and I forget my experience as a, as a bike racer and how easy things come to me, how decisions... You take things for granted. Like, it's so easy for me to make decisions in races and read races. I read races so well which I kind of forget about and see when I'm in a race like today, I kind of know what's going to happen. I know what people are going to do, what they're not going to do. Yeah. Kind of just, and I'm kind of saying it and then think, then second guessing myself, why do they tell Christian? Why do they say that? I literally like, why do I believe that? And then it goes exactly how I told them it was going to go. But I don't, I've forgotten why I know that. And so it'd be nice now to go to kids and then actually force myself to break it down. Sure. And explain. You know, it, it's finding a way to say it that you know the message is deliverable. So yesterday, my guys missed the move. Mm. 16, 18 guys. Nobody in it. Not a huge fuck up because it was a hard one to win, but yeah. still a fuck up. Yeah. And uh, it was racking my brain. Like, how am I going to tell these guys they really fucked up and they, it's not acceptable? But I'm not really judging them because I've missed big moves before. Yeah. And I think and it was hard as hell yesterday. It was really hard. It was physical. So you have to. I enjoy that challenge, and I I feel like you're similar in that you like playing with the um, you like playing with words and getting a message across correctly. Yeah. You know, and that, I don't know. I feel like it'd be pretty good for it. But I just admit that. But I mean, the biggest thing for me is just a, a totally new challenge, just going into that and and working really hard again about. We're working really hard about something I'm passionate about. That's what I'd like to do. Rediscover a passion for something that I really want to work hard for and spend. But here's the thing, man. Five like, years doing that. I started helping out, like making these wacky T-shirts and, mm -hmm. and an energy bar company, yeah. and now with this, yeah. and we spend so much part. We, we're used from 
from getting a brand create. What's that? You gotta get brand. Getting brand. But with the podcast, yeah. But we're so used to spending so much of our day thinking about how to get better yeah. and how to progress mm. that when you transfer into real world situations, mm. you can outwork people fucking. It, it's ridiculous. You, you're, you're. Yes and no, because we've always done what we're passionate about. The majority mm. have to work. I think you're going to be passionate just about starting something. Though. Like, yes, I'm like I. Yeah, I feel like I have the vehicle of my talent to be. That's why I don't agree with the milk and black lot 10,000 hours. Because I think many of us who are here achieve success. It wasn't necessarily hard work. It was a shitload of talent and then yeah. a shitload of hard work. But the talent came first. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. were exceptional. Yeah, yeah. And everything was easy. Yeah. Then the rare few, because I've seen so many guys fall by the wayside because they didn't know how to work hard, but they were massively talented. The guys who have made it, and talent was almost 90% the, the get-out ticket. Just this genetic kind of predisposition to be able to do something. And so I think it's a bit of a cop-out to say, oh, if you work 10,000 hours, it'd be really good. It's not. Most of us, we were very fucking lucky yeah, to yeah. discover or to recognize that we were really good at something. I don't know how you feel, but for me, I feel like psych- I, I had no other option but to be a cyclist. And not in that I was... It was just, it was put in front of me. I was talented as a junior. I was talented as a 23. Pro contract came. It wasn't even, Yeah. yeah. it chose me. Yeah, and I suppose mine was a bit different. I chose it in many ways. So I wasn't cycling, I didn't know anybody was pro cycling. I didn't know anybody was cyclist. I had no clue. It was very much a, a kind of, it was, I had a little bit of sagesse to recognize that this was something I was incredibly good at. Sport. I did so many sports. I should have hated team sports. So it was fun, boring. I, at that time, I was borderline sociopath when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and I was good at art, and I could write and do things. And if I tried hard at, so I could, but the only thing I wanted to try hard at was cycling. And so, and that was because by default I was really good at it. I was but, you, but was there also a point of it that? It was exciting that nobody you knew did it. You were going on yeah, this it fucking was a, adventure. It was a fucking adventure. I was like going to France. I was going to go and do all these things. I was going to do something that nobody oh. expected. Yeah, no. When I I went to Europe the first time, did like the junior tour of Austria when I was seventeen, came back to school, and it was immediately like as soon as I got back, I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. Can, yeah. Don't you people? I went and did the world's world championships. I've been to Austria. I'm a. This is boring. Mm-hmm. I got it. I had different likes over in Hong Kong, which was far from boring. And sure, and sure. When we got to 18, we all left school. We were all going to the universities. All of, none of us saying everyone went to do universities across the world, wherever they were going. And so as we were all disappearing when we were 18. Whatever happened, we'd all go back. We'd all stay in, in contact. But I didn't stay in contact with anybody, so I'm yeah, still yeah, to this day terrible at that. A lot of my high school friends, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm done with. But um, I'm not done with my high school friends in the but I just don't stay in touch with anybody. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, mine was very much an individual. Mine is very much individual. My whole thing, my whole upbringing, my whole situation, the way I've handled everything, the way I got into drugs, the way I did this, it's all been very individual. Sure. Well, I think you've done really good, brother. I mean, you had you, the yellow. You've had the leader's jersey in all three Grand Tours. I know. I mean, the, I mean, of cycling careers, mm-hmm. like you're in the upper. I mean, what, one percentile, like, probably? I, mean, I have the privilege of doing that. Having in my, on my wall in my library, my three leaders' jerseys from the Grand Tours. Yeah. And I might sneak in my time travel world champion jersey somewhere. <laughs> just give it enough time. In the cellar. <laughs> yeah, sure. When you're in a yeah. guilty moment, you just go down and look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing the podcast, man. My pleasure, my pleasure.